Hello and welcome to MedTalk, a medical revision podcast designed for medical students um, to help with your studies and beyond. My name's Sneha. I'm a third-year medical student at University of Western Australia. Um, and today's episode is slightly different from our usual case-based ones in that we're going to cover and try to demystify the OSCE examinations. Um, and joining us today are two very special guests. So our first guest is Associate Professor Helen Wilcox, who is a consultant GP and the um, head of clinical education at University of Western Australia. Welcome, Helen. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me along. Thank you. And our next guest is the very lovely Dr. Marissa Lowe, who is who graduated from UWA last year and is currently working as an intern and is actually joining us from Broome this evening. Hi, Marissa. Okay, so we might get started with um, what the OSCEs are and what the structure of the episode is. So we'll try and cover what the um, OSCEs actually are, uh, what the exam format is like, what domains are usually tested in different stations. We'll then go into a breakdown on how students can plan their preparation, where to start studying, and on the day, um, some specific tips as to what to do in different type of stations, how most to make of reading times, and then how how to put the OSCEs behind them, if that's all right. Uh, so we might get started with what the OSCEs are. Um, I should say it stands for Objective Structured Clinical Exams, and I'm sure many of our listeners are already familiar with the format. Uh, but for the benefit of our listeners who are perhaps who have not sat the OSCEs and are not very familiar with the format or what they are. I was wondering, Helen, if you could give us a bit of background about um, what they set out to assess and um, just a bit of uh, context to the exams. Of course, of course. So the objective structured clinical exam, it's probably worth breaking down each of those. Um, I'll come back to the objective bit at the end. So the structured part really means that we have put together clinical scenarios which are going to test your clinical skills and not just in managing a specific presentation or condition, but also your broader skills and attitudes and demeanour when communicating with a patient. So we are setting these up such that this is not just a knowledge test, this is actually around being able to put into practice the knowledge that you have previously demonstrated for UWA students listening in your written exams held in the previous days. So in terms of um, them being a structured exam, one of our big things with the OSCE is we would like all of the 240 students in each year of the program to have the same experience with a same examiner Uh, with the same form of examiner, the same form as patient, the same forms of scenarios. So these questions are well, are scripted well in advance. These stations are scripted well in advance of the actual OSCE itself and are designed to focus on one specific uh, aspect of a clinical consultation. Mm -hmm. And that might be history, examination, discussing differential diagnosis, discussing management. I think we're going to give a little bit of time to each of those main areas as the podcast goes on. Sure. 
Sounds great. Um, and I was wondering if we could touch on how the expectations might differ uh, for, say, third-year students versus final-year students. And before we progress, I might just add that uh, while some of the things we speak of today are probably specific to University of Western Australia students, but I'm sure listeners from medical schools all around can benefit mm. um, from the subtleties. So, yeah, just how the expectations would be different. So, well, firstly, the disciplines that are assessed will differ from year to year, and I'd encourage both year four and year three MD students to go into their OSCE information section on the uh, LMS, our learning management system, to look at the specific disciplines that will be tested in the 2020 OSCE. And if you are listening to this podcast in 2021 and thereafter, those disciplines may well change due to an evolving course structure. Mm-hmm. So... Go with LMS as your source of truth as to what disciplines will be tested. Sure. So the I suppose our other big expectation is the level of skill that we are expecting. So the thing is with the OSCE is we're not just looking for how much you know about uh, the management of diabetes. We're looking for how well you can communicate that knowledge to a patient or a simulated patient um, or another health Um, professional. So we are looking at how you are able to synthesize information together and then communicate that to the examiner or the simulated patient or the simulated relative or simulated health professional who is your who, who is in the room with you. So increasingly we're having the examiners be just observers there to keep the case on track, provide a little bit of prompting if need be, give you investigations or examination finding as need be. But largely, the examiner is just sitting back and watching you manage the control the consultation. Mm-hmm. So why does that illustrate difference between year two and year th- or year three and year four? It's because our expectations of what you would do to manage a situ or to to control a situation are increased in year four. So year three, we would be hoping to hear about the the basic essential principles of management but by year four we would expect you to be able to give us a greater detail on the specifics of management um, and um, complications and prognosis and and the like so the level of detail that's required in your answers um, or required in your response to the situation will differ Sure. And Marissa, now you've been through multiple OSCEs successfully yourself. Um, Was there anything when you were progressing through different years that you realised how the expectations were different or certain stations that perhaps you weren't aware, um, you weren't expecting or um, that are quite common? When I was preparing for my second year OSCE, it was very much a focus on history and examination. We would practice that with each other, making sure we knew all the steps to all the different system examinations and making them into a routine, making sure we were familiar with them. And then when it came to fourth year, we very much focused more on management and counselling and going to that higher level, so synthesising information and making diagnoses um, and practicing what's in accordance with what's expected of us as a graduating final year medical student um, compared to, I guess, going through the steps of a history examination. So definitely Mm -hmm. influenced our preparation between the different years. Sure. So focusing more on management and patient care as you progress through. Um, And I think you've already touched on this, but um, 
how to plan preparation perhaps Helen you might um, be able to start us off on that sure well look I think if we're we're recording this podcast in Mm -hmm. September and by the time it comes out to you it will probably be a little later in September I'm thinking from then that the certainly the year four students and to an extent the year three students are well into their preparation the spectre of the OSCE has been hanging over students from the beginning So I think we, we should probably t- touch this in two ways. Where to start if you're listening to this at the beginning of an academic year and where, to, where, you, where you should be at now and where you, um, if you, you really haven't started to prepare, how to pick it up. So um, to digress, I do a lot of long distance running. I do marathon training. And every good marathon plan has a, this is the 24-week plan for if you have lots of time. This is the 20-week plan if you've only got three sessions a week. This is the four-week plan if you've really left it until the last minute. This is the minimum you need to do. So <laughs> along those lines, um, where should you start studying? So it, will, it comes down to the core curriculum and the core topic areas that are listed as in, in your unit guidebooks as being um, relevant for that particular discipline. And having an approach to evaluating the patient with one of those presentations and having an approach to managing the patient with one of those conditions. Um, you, should also, you should specifically prioritise the uh, conditions and presentations that are featured as teaching sessions for your discipline rotation. So if you have had three to four um, teaching, uh, directed teaching, compulsory teaching sessions on a given topic, it's a reasonable chance that that is considered important enough to be accessible in either mm-hmm. the written or the OSCE format towards the end of the year. And if you had 24 weeks study ahead of you, you'll probably start with the um, the three plus conditions and spend a little bit of time with some of the two plus conditions. And, you, and then you'll do some one pluses. And then in a little while you'll go back and refresh yourself and look for some additional resources and practice on the three pluses. If you are at the stage that there is only a limited amount of time before you can uh, before your OSCE is coming, you will focus in that case on the three plus conditions to give yourself the best chance of achieving some knowledge in the high yield rotations. Marissa, is that fair to say? <laughs> Completely agree. Completely agree. Um, and I think on that thing, I've also written down in my notes, it's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> oh yeah, there we go. Helen knows better than me because she actually runs marathons <laughs> like me. Um, but I think it is really about having a like regular times um, which you start, start from the beginning of the year where possible, but it's mm-hmm. definitely possible, I know people don't want to hear this, but it is possible <laughs> to cram everything into last minute. Unfortunately, I've done this far too many times myself, mm-hmm. um, but with the OSCE, I do believe it's something that you need to start preparing quite early for mm-hmm. um, and quite consistently throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So I think we've already touched on this. Being organised with the study and starting at the beginning of the year, having a plan, a long-term plan. But for the OSCEs, and this year a lot of us are going to be sitting it for the first time, and for the other half, they're going. it's the last kind of barrier before they're graduating. In terms of the difference between written exams and the OSCEs, um, because they set out to assess more kind of clinical knowledge, do you do you have any other tips on how to be organised um, in terms of developing those clinical skills and um, really those skills that OSCEs set out to assess, which can be hard to study for from textbooks? I think one of the most important things here is having a good study group because with the OSCE, 
it's not like the written exams where you can look at your textbooks, look at your notes and try and learn knowledge. Mm-hmm. This is something you need people to study with. Um, so the way that a lot of um, my colleagues and myself did it was to have a study group from the beginning of the year, starting um, right at the beginning and having regular times each week. At the beginning of the year, it's not so much about, you know, memorising knowledge or being really familiar with every topic, but it's about being familiar with how OSCEs run. And the more you practice, the more you're comfortable with that eight-minute station. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. We would always have each person bringing a different station to the session. Um, We may either have had, for example, one station focused on GP or another on ONG. Everyone would have bring a different discipline each week, so we would cover a variety of topics. Or you could pick one discipline and say this week is going to be paediatrics week and everyone could bring a station about that. And I think the more that you practice, the more stations that you do right from the beginning of the year, even if you have no idea, even if you haven't studied that topic, about getting yourself into that routine and becoming more and more comfortable with what an OSCE station might be, so that when you come to the day itself, um, Mm -hmm. you feel less nervous and Mm -hmm. feel that all of the year's work um, has prepared you for that day. Mm -hmm. So in small increments, and I guess medicine mm. is a collaborative approach, so mm. learning from each other can yeah. be a big asset. Um, did you have any? Yeah, um, I'm not sure if the listeners could hear me furiously not nodding <laughs> down the podcast then, but I think um, I, I would focus this, um, when, when, I hear, when I'm hearing um, Melissa speak there, um, I'm thinking about uh, feedback I've given to students who haven't passed the OSCE and mm-hmm. I've been re- working with them as their remediation mentor preparing for the um, the sub-OSCE. And one thing I found, a common thing for those students, I say, well, how were you studying for this? And they say, oh, look, I read, I read through this. I read my notes. And I'd say that's great for a knowledge-based exam, but that doesn't mm-hmm. help you with skills. So reading page, pages on a, reading a page on a screen about the differential diagnosis of breathlessness does not help you walk into an OSCE and have the patient say, well, doctor, I've been a bit short of wind recently. So what you need to do in that case, imagine how much more effective it will be if your study was like, okay, I'm going to randomly generate a core condition number 53. Oh, okay, that is altered mental state. Oh, actually, that's not a very good example. <laughs> um, I'm going to randomly generate cough. Okay, so I now have four minutes by the clock to think about what is my important differential of the common and serious causes? Give me half a dozen common causes, half a dozen serious causes. In this next four minutes, sitting at my desk, I am going to script the 10 important history questions to ask and um, what and how I would how that would affect my clinical reasoning depending on the answers. Mm-hmm. So being that's really the first half of an OSCE scenario, uh, being able to work out what your little mental diagnostic flowchart is, what little algorithm your brain will follow, you know, cough, wet or dry. Uh, wet, okay, um, associated symptoms, fever, um, pleuritic chest pain, okay, this is all sort of sounding, sounding like pneumonia. What's your next question? What's your next question? What's your next question? And doing that under timed circumstances so you get your brain quickly thinking nice and fast about mm-hmm. pneumonia. That is infinitely better than going back to Kumar and Clark or going back to <laughs> whatever up-to-date or whatever notes you are using about pneumonia because that's not the skill that you'll be using on the day. Yeah. I'm looking at um, Marissa through the screen <laughs> and I'm seeing if this resonates with her. I wish I'd known this last year. Okay. We practice <laughs> yep. more stations in terms of, instead of conditions or presentations yeah. and I think this is such a valuable skill and a really good way to, to practice, I think. 
Yeah. 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 So it's it's comes on as I often talk to my my year one and my year two students about that you want to have if you've only got four weeks now to study Furoski, you want to have the drop down menu in your head for the the high frequency core presentations. Okay, what is my drop down differential for this? Um, and because what that does is it means that you've got a thinking as soon as you hear the presenting complaint you know what you're going to say next. You can say, okay, I'll just access my drop-down menu for this. It's going to be these common or these serious, and then your history will just flow out of that. I think this is all, we're all segueing into what we're going to talk about later on in controlling <laughs> nerves. Okay. But okay. I just want to um, reiterate that the single best thing I think people can do to help themselves is make it so that, that first mm-hmm. 15 seconds of an OSCE station, you've practised that 15 seconds of the hearing the bell, breathing out, Walking in, sitting down, hello, I'm Marissa Lowe, I'm a RMO on this term. I understand you've come in about your cough. And having that just be so routine and boring, you've done it literally hundreds of times, you don't even need to think about it. Mm-hmm. You don't think about where you're going to sit and how you're going to walk and where you're going to look and what you're going to say and what your interest is going to be because it's just routine. It's yeah. coming straight from the brainstem. That's, it's that kind of thing that you would, if you've got that initial 30 seconds of the presentation and the drop-down menu just appearing in your mind for the presentation, you, that frees up your brain to then be used for the latter part of the station. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. So preventing as many extraneous stresses as you can. Yeah, by just preparing, be, preparing. work out the bits that you can control. Work out the bits yeah. that you know are going to happen and just make sure you've got a, a, tri, a very tried and tested strategy for the bits you know which are going to happen because you know how the intro is going to be. You know that there's going to be a presenting complaint that you then need to get more history out of. Um, you know that your history is going to have to involve presenting a plate and then key elements of the focused comprehensive history if that's what they've asked you to do. Mm-hmm. So you know those things are going to happen. So get those practised so much that they're automated. Sure. And I think we've already um, touched on this a bit, but in terms of high-yield topic areas that students um, should prepare from and should have detailed knowledge from, uh, you mentioned, Helen, the core conditions and core presentations are a really good resource to um, guide the study. Are there any particular areas that you think um, students should focus on when preparing for OSCEs as opposed to written exams? Yeah. So... I won't say, I, I, I vow to not mention the core curriculum again because I think I've laid those points <laughs> down. In addition to that, acute medicine and emergencies for each discipline are going to be important. So that's mm-hmm. when I said about the drop-down menu of the serious causes, particularly the IMP3 or if you're for OSCE, once you have done emergency medicine, um, internal medicine again, you've done surgery with its focus on acute post-operative complications, you've done rural GP with its mm-hmm. with its um, you know uh, trauma and and you know having to have a, a generalist um, emergency medicine approach to as a as the sole practitioner focus on your acute medicine. It's also things like acute acute medicine and responding to an emergency are actually quite easy for us to examine because there's usually the right there's usually the right thing to do. It's so mm-hmm. important to manage cardiac arrest. There's really only one way to manage cardiac arrest mm-hmm. and managing like a massive PPH in ONG there's probably only one way to do it because it's so important that we've thought about it, as in the medical profession have thought about it and they've got it right. So it's actually focusing on those acute things is actually quite an easy way to study because there is there is the right answer is out there. Mm-hmm. That's it. Marissa, did you have uh, yeah, any additional points? I completely agree. And yeah. I think um, we'll come back to this soon, but when you walk into an emergency, going back to your framework, you can always use ABCDE. Mm. Yep. If you are stuck on whatever it is, even things like 
or that and calling for help are two main things you should always do in any emergency mm-hmm. and if you can just remember those two things that will get you through mm-hmm. and help you start thinking when you get to a station if you ever freeze yeah, yeah. so going back to first principles okay. Um, and another, going back to um, controlling things that you can control and thinking about it beforehand, um, another thing is how to dress for Oski and what to bring. Marissa, you might. I would say just dress smartly, dress like you would normally do to go to placement. Make sure you don't have any room for any wardrobe malfunctions <laughs> in the day, thinking, yeah. back, thinking back to one of the many interviews that I went to um, and someone decided to wear new high heels. And the interview was actually one floor up and she couldn't walk up the stairs to the interview. So make sure that whatever you're wearing is practical um, and won't get in the way. For example, you may need to do things like CPR or, um, you know, you need to be able to move around quite easily. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, Make sure you've got a tried and tested outfit. Um, In terms of what to bring, something I did was to make a list of everything before the day that I would need. Mm. So that when I was planning the night before and frantically freaking out about the OSCE the next day, I had a structure, comes up to that structure and framework. Mm-hmm. Don't forget your stethoscope. I know of people who have rocked up to their OSCE without a stethoscope and then panicked. Mm-hmm. Um, things like pens, an ID badge and your wash bottle are all really important things. And when you get there, everyone is so friendly. If you forget something, there are always spare pens. There's food and water there, able to make you feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but make sure things like the stethoscope and your ID badge are two of the most important things that you can't just get on the day at the Absolutely. Menu. Just an, another word on dress. Um, there, think about also what nerves are going to do to your body. Mm. So it is a lot of people perspire. So woolen, wool is bad. So so mm-hmm. um, keep dress dress so dress so that you've got room to accommodate perspiration if that happens. If you're a fidgeter, don't wear something you're going to fidget with. I've I've spent many an Oski watching people fiddling with their buttons or their tassels um, when it would have been much better if they were wearing just a very plain top where they they they, where they weren't able to use that as a, a fidgeting a, a fidget device. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember watching one student um, in a Mokoski uh, using his his uh, shirt buttons as like a fidget spinner, and it was it was distracting for me. It was distracting for the patient, um, and I think it was probably also using unnecessary neurons for him. Mm-hmm. Can we come back to the high yield topic areas? Because I'm conscious that I just spoke Absolutely. then really about yeah. um, diagnosis type stations. Mm-hmm. And I think we should also acknowledge that, yes, there will be stations where the focus is management, where the mm-hmm. diagnosis is largely known. Mm-hmm. So what would I, what was I, what would I make sure that I had detailed knowledge of them? And I think, I'd, I'd think that, I'd, I'd bear in mind that we are not looking for the, um, a, a lengthy discourse on management of a condition. We are looking for, principles of management, critical aspects of man- management that shouldn't be overlooked, that can be discussed in two to three minutes. Mm-hmm. So when you, again, when you are preparing for your um, OSCE study, just as you do a timed four-minute plan your history and ask your history question, so you should also plan to list key management elements in two to three minutes. If you cannot put your management spiel for a set condition into two to three minutes, then you're probably going into excessive detail. What is the problem there? The bell rings before you've got onto the latter part of management. So mm-hmm. I guess a really good example of that is when I see someone who's – we've picked diabetes a few times, so let's keep riffing on that. Mm-hmm. So some, someone who wants to discuss diabetes management, and so they spend two to three minutes just talking about pharmacological management and giving me a lovely discussion of first to second, third line oral hypoglycemic agents. 
Then ding, 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 the bell goes and they haven't been able to give enough time to the crucial non-pharmacological lifestyle advice, um, referrals to allied health, the organisational dimensions, the safety netting, the follow-up. And it would have been much better for that person if they had a a approach to diabetes that could be encapsulated within the time mm-hmm. of an OSCE. So I'm trying to give some tips here that people can use on their own. I know at the mm-hmm. moment, especially in the weird year that we've had, um, uh, face-to-face study groups haven't always been able to gel mm-hmm. in the early part of the year. So a lot of people do feel, I'm sure there are people who feel like they're going into this flying solo. So mm-hmm. that's a kind of strategy that you can do on yourself, by the clock at home, that will simulate the OSCE scenario. Absolutely. And would you say a good strategy would be to outline the different approaches, for the different yep. um, management oh, strategies that's so first good. And, and I, then go back? As an examiner, I hear, I hear these students say, look, I'm going to talk to you about your diabetes. So I'm just going to check what you know about your diabetes, first of all, and just check that you know, you're up to speed on your knowledge there and to mm-hmm. answer any questions. Then we're going to talk about where medication fits with this. And then we're going to talk about the really important stuff that's been shown to make a difference, which is how you run your lifestyle, what other health professionals can help you, and then, you know, when you might need to have more testing done. Is mm-hmm. that okay? Does that sound good? And the the patient will go, that sounds really good. <laughs> and the examiner, you'll just see them just sit back and sigh and they'll go, I don't need to hear anymore. They, they have just, the student has outlined for me the guts of management. Mm-hmm. And then that student, having done that little 20-second spiel on the principles of management, can then go in and expand on each one of them a little bit further. If that student gets caught by the bell, they've at least, by doing that point of outlining what they're going to talk about up front, they've at least given me the guts of the management so I can start mm-hmm. filling in the little bubbles on the marking sheet for all the management areas. Even if I can say it was partially done, yeah. at least it's done. Yeah, great point. Marissa, did you have anything to add on that? Again, things I wish I knew one year ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very insightful. Okay, so we've covered what to do leading up to the OSCEs. Uh, We might start with what to do on the day. And one of the first things uh, when the bell rings and the station starts is the reading time of, I think, two minutes. And um, Marissa, perhaps you might be able to start us on how to make most of that reading time um, once you've read the trigger. So I think here's a good time for you to regroup considering mm-hmm. that you made another station beforehand, clear your mind and make a structure for the station just as Helen outlined. Mm-hmm. For example, if it's a management station, think about it that you want to cover potential medications, so pharmacological management, non-pharmacological management, maybe surgical management, and you can structure the way that you're going to approach the station based on that. If it's an emergency, like we said, think back to your ABCDE, if it's a history-taking station, Think about all the differentials that you need to rule in or out or all the pertinent positive and negative symptoms. Make a list um, and jot down any key points in the trigger that you think are going to help and prompt you throughout the station. And think about what you want to do before you go in. Mm-hmm. Be aware that sometimes the triggers can be quite long. Sometimes they can be up to half a page or a couple of paragraphs. So sometimes um, one strategy is to have a look at the tasks that you're going to have to do in the station and then go back and read the scenario again so that you can pick out all the important points. Um, In that reading time, it does help, I would say, to write down some things, to write down that structure of what you want to cover. It may change once you go in the door. At least you've got something to latch onto or something to give you an idea once you walk into the actual station itself. That's a great point. Um, 
Helen, did you have any additional points on that? Yeah, and I think this is the control that you, the stuff that you can control, the things that within your remit. So mm-hmm. anyone who's listened to um, any of the MD4 OSCE talks that uh, OSCE lead Dr. Senke Gann has given, you'll have heard him talk about reading the task and the trigger and don't waste time on doing something that you haven't been asked to do. So what that can often mean for students is you write on your piece of paper history, examination, investigation, you're a really big cross through the bit you don't need to do. And again, that's another sort of a calming, grounding strategy that you can do at the start of every um, station is do exactly the same thing. Divide your paper up into four or whoever, whoever you want to do it. Divide your paper up into your history-taking template. And that's just a little bit of you know, occupational therapy that you can do for 10 seconds at the start of every station just to ground yourself again. Um, so... Yes, uh, examiners will bring you back on message if it looks like you are deviating off and they will because they will stop you from going down a rabbit hole and uh, on unnecessary tasks. We will reorient you, but even then, that t- takes time and it's, it, it flusters you having to noticing that you're needing to be reoriented. So don't get disoriented to start with. Just do what we ask on the trigger. Mm-hmm. Having said that, having examined at the Mokolski for the Year 4s just a few weeks ago, I reckon students have got that down pat now. Most students are well well aware of you do what's on the trigger and only what's on the trigger. Mm-hmm. And um, another little clarification in terms of language of the trigger. Mm. Um, often it asks if the station says to take a focused history, how does that differ mm. from like a proper history? Okay. Yes. So I'm quoting directly from uh, Dr. Gann and his OSCE talk here when he says, a targeted or focused history means that you concentrate on the aspects of the history that will inform your differential diagnosis or inform your management. Uh, Let's go back to that cough one before. So if you were to take a focused history on that 72-year-old who presents with a a cough, it will be around working out uh, whether this um, person has a... um, a an infective versus non-infective and then bacterial versus viral and then how sick they are at the moment and what what uh, level of intervention are they likely to require mm-hmm. and that is what you could ask them whether they've got birds or pets mm-hmm. or you know whether they grew up in an area where there was um you know occupational exposure to silica mm-hmm. it's not actually focused on why that person is coughing up green stuff and feeling breathless and febrile now so that's, that's probably, I think that's an extreme example, but I think there's probably no, correlates to that for all the presentations. Yeah, that's it. If you sense. were writing up a long case to submit as part of your year three placement, yes, give us the broad aspects of all the respiratory history components, but don't give us that when we just ask you for a focused history in the OSCE. Mm-hmm. And another little thing, we're used to introducing ourselves as medical students on the wards or any assessments that we do, Um, but often the trigger, sometimes it says you're the intern in the ED or you're the RMO. Um, I expect you'd go with the trigger and introduce yourself as whatever. Absolutely. If they say the RMO, be the RMO. Get into the role. And also also the, the patient might get a little bit confused if you're doing something outside the role. Um, so, yeah, embrace the role. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I think we've already covered um, who's in the OSCE station and what the role of the examiner is. Mm. Um, is there anything specific about um, what the OSCE station involves that you'd like students to know? I, so. I'll just, I guess I just want to give the students some reassurance about the things we do to make it fair. Mm. So... Every student will do the same scenarios. We'll mm-hmm. have the exact same cases written across across the year. 
every student has got that same explicit marking key which said these are the features we are looking for and there is a pre-exam standardizational briefing process where we work out this is what means that this is partially done this is what means that this is done well this is what it means if they don't do it at all mm -hmm. so all the examiners on a civic station will have had that conversation um, uh, beforehand um, with um, we, we we train up the patients also, and we specifically use patients that we are, are, have been tried and tested in other teaching or assessment formats so that they give the same information to every student every time. Mm -hmm. And the other thing we've got is the reason why there are so many stations um, in an OSCE is because it's a, an additional layer of insurance so that if there is any variation between patients or between examiners, it's statistically designed to neutralise any of that error of measurement that happens. So there's, OSCEs are used in undergraduate medicine across the world, they're used in undergraduate and postgraduate medicine across the world. There are tried and tested ways to make them standardised and fair and reliable, which means the same from student to student. And mm -hmm. we do have all those in place here at EWA. Um, now, in terms of the stations themselves, as you mentioned before, there can be different types of stations. And one of the common stations are history-taking stations. I was wondering, Marissa, if you could start us off on this, um, if there are any specific tips for history-taking stations um, that students might be able to benefit from. I think I've touched on a lot of them already being mm. you know, focused. Um, it is eight minutes. So you've got, and you may need to do other things in that eight minutes. So you do need to be more often than not focused. And I think if you're stuck um, in your station and you have no clue what is going on, mm -hmm. something that you can always go back to is like good old Socrates or the comprehensive history that you may need to obtain. So sometimes even if you need a focus history, you do need to ask you know, briefly about past medical conditions, social history, medications, allergies. And even if you don't know what to ask about in the station, you can always go back to those questions and ask them because that's something that you will need to ask regardless of the station. Mm -hmm. Unless, of course, it says, like, only take a history about a cough or something. But that's always relevant. You can always ask about those things. Um, and, again, it's about, I guess, sort of having some sort of framework and being guided by the, what the um, patient says to you. Um, they will often sort of tell you things which will prompt you to ask more about that or they may not give you much which means don't probe into that question there's not too much information to be had about that particular aspect move on to something else the actors will sort of guide you in a way and so will the examiners um, in those sorts of stations as well yep Helen did you have any additional points yeah. for those look I think um, there's probably Having a having a set fr um, a framework is useful. I think we, I think we, we Marissa, there were you um, sort of alluding to what happens if you just have a, a blank moment, if you have just blocking of thought. Um, literally, it's important to have a line that you use to help you get back on track, or even a gesture that you use. And so, one of the best ones I hear from students is, "I'm just going to take a minute to collect my thoughts," mm. which was just a nice way of avoiding an awkward silence and making me sit, not hang and stare at the student, making me just sit back for 30 seconds or so while they did collect their thoughts. Um, and I think that's a tried and tested strategy. I also see students, they might have some physical way of, of breathing out or you know, clasping their hands. They might have some gesture which allows them to calm themselves down and um, 
reorient themselves and refocus on the case. So start with your practice session, moving it, building it a few of those cues so that your subconscious says, okay, turn off sympathetics, <laughs> turn up the vagal, turn down the sympathetic drive. And so therefore you're able to think again and engage your cortex. Sure. And any particular bad examples or good examples, you already mentioned a few that you've noticed that um, students should be aware of. In the history-taking context, yeah. yeah. Uh, look, I think there's something, there's probably two things that are really off-putting and it's not just an examiner but it's actually the patient because remember that the patient does contribute to mm. a little bit of scoring here. So the patients want to be treated with respect. They want to see that you're taking them seriously. So using language, using joking languages, like saying something's awesome, saying something's cool, saying something's um, amazing, using informal speak to a patient, is it's not acceptable. It's, it's just going to disadvantage you. Yeah. I think it's really useful at some stage in your OSCE prep to um, uh, get yourself videoed, mm -hmm. um, get someone to video you and cringe your way through watching that video to see what language you use inadvertently. How many ums do you use? How many ahs uh, do you say? Awesome, fantastic, fantastic, yep, 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 yep. Is there something you do which get that video ideally viewed by another person who says, well, that's kind of off I'm putting. If that was my, that's off putting. If that was my doctor, I kind of wouldn't like that. Get mm -hmm. that feedback and train yourself out of that little habit. Mm -hmm. Can Get, I continue on my little rant here? Yeah, I'm not ranting. No, but <laughs> not just, a rant. I think another thing to have a do is just be very careful around sensitive disclosures. I mean, we are here talking about the fact that someone is sick, mm -hmm. and if someone is sick, they often have had a family member or a spouse who has also been sick from a, th a thing. That's we and, and often. We, the scenario is built around someone with a hereditable disease. So we've deliberately given them a sick relative. Just get your response right. I mm. see people in my students in clinical settings responding to this kind of stuff beautifully, saying, you know, that's, um, oh, how old was he? Oh, he's, you know, he sounds like he was a young man. Um, and, or, you know, he was talking about the death of a brother from, mm. uh, from um, you know, inherited cardiomyopathy or something. Um, or you know, having saying something, saying lovely. You know, so that they say the person died two weeks ago. Saying, "Goodness, that's that's quite recent. How are you managing?" I see students in, when they're in my clinic with me doing GP, saying really lovely, open, compassionate things like that. And then I see them mm. get into the OSCE and say, "I'm sorry to hear that," and they skip merrily on. And it's like a slap in the face. Mm. And so, think of the language that you would use and that you would want to hear yourself if you'd recently suffered a bereavement. We are not going to set you a station that is solely grief counselling, but there is a middle ground where you can have one or two statements and it might just be, um, you know, how are you managing or goodness me or, or it sounds difficult. And then if the patient wants to go further into the death of the patient, if, if the, the, the death or the bereavement or the adverse event, if it's relevant to the presenting complaint and the station, you can find that out. So I remember seeing a OSCE or a year three presentation where someone had recently lost their job and mm. this clever student rather than saying I'm sorry to hear that and skipping on said goodness that's difficult we can discuss this more or we can move on now now this what was happening here is the person was going depressed and drinking because they'd lost their job so by giving the patient the choice of we can discuss this more they discussed it more the student was on the right track the case played out beautifully mm -hmm. So, look, everyone will have their own sig signature statements and Marissa's probably going to chime in with some, some gems and some pearls, <laughs> but that's just my take on what to do and what not to do in that scenario. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Marissa, did you have any additional pearls? <laughs> no. That's excellent advice. I think 
you know, having practiced oskies with lots of my friends, mm-hmm. same thing. We would always have some times where you have lost your train of thought or something. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's important to know that it's absolutely okay to pause mm-hmm. so that you're going to collect your thoughts and it will help you do better in the long run instead of stressing that you don't have enough time to complete the station. Yes. Mm-hmm. You always have that opportunity um, and it will help you do better mm-hmm. and reset your mental mm-hmm. framework um, going forward as well. Mm-hmm. And, and let's also remember that if you do have a brain freeze, go back to what you were previously doing. So what that so in that really involves just summarising back to patient the salient points of what you've heard. So let's say you get halfway through your history and you've completely forgotten what they told you. Um, you can say, oh, look, I just, just want to check to make sure I've understood you so far. You've told me that your cough is wet. It's been going for about two or three days, but it's a lot worse today. You saw some blood this morning. And what else? What else about this cough? And the patient will say, well, as I said before, I've got pleuritic chest pain, da 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 da. It's a bit like, for those of you, and there's probably quite a few of you, that did music lessons when you were a kid. Remember when you got to the tricky bit and you couldn't do the, you couldn't do the bit in bar 14 and the teacher would take you back to bar 12 and said, start there. Start the bit that you knew. Start the bit that you know how to do and then you go into the bit that you don't know how to do. This is exactly the same. So you take a couple of steps back to when it was going well and start again then. And I think, as you mentioned, it helps being self-aware and how you respond to certain things and preparing a few lines that are empathetic but don't um, necessarily take too long but still express compassion. But at the same time, we know that under the pressure of nerves, stuff just comes out of your mouth. It would not Mm -hmm. come out in another circumstance. So we do understand that that just happens sometime. We're just giving you some suggestions to, when you can control it, these Mm -hmm. are good ways to do it. Absolutely. Okay, sure. So we've covered tips for history-taking stations. And another common station is physical examination station. Um, Might be more common for year threes, but also for year fours as well. Are there any specific tips you'd recommend students to think through to perform at their best in those stations? I'd like to throw to um, Marissa to see how she would approach say some of the physical examination stations for example so we get you you've been asked to you know examine a knee or you've been asked to examine a precordium or do a cranial nerve exam when you're a student how did you get yourself through those i think it comes back to remembering the things that we learned in the first year clinical skills so mm-hmm. if you've got a joint look feel move special tests if it's any system inspection palpation percussion auscultation Thinking about that um, will help you. And for us, actually, um, as you mentioned, the different expectations between like third year and fourth year, and I think it came to maybe about three or four weeks before our fourth year OSCE, and we realised we've been focusing so much the whole year on management and counselling and communication stations that we actually hadn't done too many physical exams. So Mm -hmm. we went back to Italian O'Connor and went back through all of our different examinations made sure we were familiar with all the steps, things we need to look out for, all those special tests, um, because they're definitely fair game for a fourth year OSCE or any OSCE at any stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just being familiar with knowing that, also examining each other, um, making sure you're still practising your examination stage skills in your final year um, and not just sort of focusing on the management and communication side of things, all of them are equally as important. Mm -hmm. So I think going back to that long-term preparation so you don't have to kind of think about what you're going to do next on the actual day. 
Great. And communication or patient education stations. I think we've talked about it before a little earlier. Is there a specific framework that students can use for um, stations that are more focused on communicating um, a certain diagnosis or educating the patient about something? So we often um, talk about getting the patient perspective. And mm-hmm. I think in an OSCE that's really important because the patient's the one with the script. Yeah. They know they know what you want. They're waiting for you to ask them the questions. And they've come in just as patients, as conscious patients do (laughs) with any presentation, hospital or community. They've come in with an agenda in terms of they've got their own perception about what might be going on. They've got their things that they are feared of having. And then they've got some kind of agenda or expectations. They're kind Mm -hmm. of thinking that you will fix their heart attack or put them on some antibiotics for their pneumonia or, or so on. And so, again, have some explicit set questions that um, you ask for every patient and it might be you might ask their ideas what do you think might what do you think might be going on you might ask for the concerns what are you most worried about that this would be what are you really keen for us to rule out or rule in Mm -hmm. and then you might ask their expectations so what's what would you like us how would you like us to approach this today what what are your you know what do you think we should do today for this what's the most important thing for you to get out of this consult I don't mind which of those phrases you use, but mm-hmm. choosing three page phrases which sound natural for you and using them in every consultation will allow you, will allow the patient to give you what they want to give you. Mm. Absolutely. But they're not going to launch into a soliloquy and give you everything. It's mm-hmm. if, if the patient will have a section on their script that says, if specifically asked, and that's, you've got to specifically ask them to encourage them to unfold those components. Mm-hmm. To prompt them to um, yep. give you certain information. Sure. Uh, Marissa, did you have any additional points for those? I was going to say that same thing. I always yeah. start with asking the patient's perspectives and thoughts. Mm-hmm. And that will help, like, help you regroup as well and help you know how to guide the rest of the station that you need to, to go with. I think the other thing is not to rush. Um, again, as we said, like some people keep going and keep talking. Mm-hmm. But listening is really important and know that when there's a simulated actor there are points for empathy mm-hmm. so you need to be human and communicate well just as you would if you were outside the examination setting um i know it's easier than done you know but being aware that there is someone a real patient or a simulated patient who are you who you are talking to and communicating with being mm-hmm. aware of their feelings and how they felt listened to or not um, is really important and that also contributes to your marks and how well you do in the actual asking. Mm-hmm. And I think it replicates real life scenarios as well where mm. listening and um, feeling heard can be quite therapeutic as well. Another uh, type of OSCE station again is uh, those practical stations where students are assessed on how to interpret certain investigations or it might be procedural skills uh, which can be quite different from the communication stations. Do you have any specific framework or any points that uh, we should be thinking about when approaching those kind of stations? Marissa? I guess again it comes down to practice. Mm -hmm. With investigations I know I've said framework like a million times but looking at each particular parameter, for example, in a blood test, knowing if it's high or low and what that might indicate or sort of patterns that you're looking for, for example, with like liver function tests, the patterns that you're looking for there or in terms of like electrolyte disturbances, know the different causes of them, what you might need to do about it and how they may link to different diagnoses. 
Um, in terms of procedural skills and other practical stations, I think it comes down to making sure you've made the most of your clinical experience mm. and revising all the practical skills that have been taught to you. Um, for example, for AIDS and ONG, things like neonatal resus, paediatric resus, Mm-hmm. in terms of emergency medicine, advanced life support, revising those things that you've had specific teaching sessions on um, and making sure that you're familiar with those because they're very, very examinable and could well come up. Absolutely. Helen, did you have any additional tips for those? Um, no, but I think we should probably just close up by sort of talking about what happens if, despite going into the exam with the best intention to do all the things mm-hmm. we've talked about, what happens if just the wheels fall off and you get overwhelmed mm-hmm. and how to how to approach that? Um, yeah. Look, I think it's – I think it's – we're making it all sound very easy. You should do this and you should do that and just do this and it will, will be fine. But at the end of the day, even the best candidates, um, even the, the person who walks away with the AMA prize finds it an acutely stressful scenario. Um, doing an OSCE and I think Marissa has mentioned before that the people there on the day the admin and so on are going to be nice to you but there's only so much energy that you can draw from us Mm -hmm. Um, if you have a very bad difficult station uh, it's the key thing to regroup and be able to focus on the next station so I've touched on having a few little things that you can do whether it's a simple couple of a couple of bits of breathing you do or a simple body part scan or a simple physical movement or some kind of analogy. Like mm. that slat station has just washed on down the river and gone out to sea and I'm on to the next station. Just that helps you calm and focus on where you're at now because you want to leave each station in the room basically. You want to leave it all out in the court, leave it in the room. Don't take it on with you. Mm-hmm. Um, Marissa, did you have any tactics for doing that when you were a student? in the actuality mm-hmm. and I think just the fact that you're moving to the next station I had a new trigger to read I just you know that knew that I had to make the most of that two minutes to prepare for the next station mm-hmm. so as hard as, it, as hard as it was I just had to put whatever had just happened no matter how badly I thought I might have done behind me mm-hmm. and then moved on yep. and looked at my blank sheet of paper that I had to write down notes my next trigger yep um, and move on to the next one yeah mm-hmm. And I'm it's conscious, ladies, that we, yeah, <laughs> we, we, are, we are speaking to experts here. We are speaking to yeah. students that have made it through secondary school. They've made it through an undergrad. They've probably, some of them have made it through presenting their th- three-minute theses. They've done multiple mini-CXs, SCAs, wardrobe presentations mm-hmm. beforehand. And I guess I'd say to the students that you've got through all those one way or the other. Yeah. So, you know, you've got it within you to withstand the pressure of the situation. And I don't think those skills are going to desert you in the OSCE. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, those those skills and that ability to get through that pressureful situation is something you've been honing for the last ten years of your life. So mm-hmm. they're they're right there for you. Um, people always do better than they think. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a really big point: trusting your intuition and trusting yeah. your guts and trusting your strategies on how to make through those really stressful situations. Yeah. I think we've um, covered in quite detail what to do on the day and how to put it behind you once that big day is over as you said it is um, one exam and these are students everyone's uh, faced stressful situations before and they've uh, made it through them so uh, trusting 
your instinct. Before we close up and uh, as we start to wrap up, I was wondering if you have any other general tips that you'd like students to know. Just run your run your own race. Mm-hmm. You know, use yeah. your peers in your study group to in in advance of the session to reflect their observations of you, but know that um, no, you're the only person, you're the only student in that room and you're not in any other student's room. So when students were telling you how well they did or how badly they did, it's, that's, that's their thing, that's not you. Mm-hmm. I think people, the, the post-mortem can be really stressful for some people and it's not going to change the outcome. Um, we're, we're gluttons for punishment, we're ambulance <laughs> chasers, we love, seeing, we love hearing about it afterwards, but uh, I think it can be destabilising mm-hmm. um, listening to others afterwards so just be you can listen but just just be careful with how much you take on I mean we do know that in other crisis situations you know people have incomplete recall when they're under stress of of or when they're under in in a traumatic situation um you know they're not laying down new memories in that time Mm -hmm. so take other people's observations with a with a limited value Mm-hmm. And I think that comparison can be yeah. really stressful yeah. and being yeah. kind to... You've been through enough stress already, yeah. I would say, <laughs> yes. Marissa, um, did you have anything to add? No, I completely agree. After our Aussie last year, I don't know whether we made the mistake or not, we had about 20 of us who all went out for lunch afterwards, good and bad. <laughs> um, but I think some people went to watch a movie, some people just took mm. a break. I think, mm-hmm. I don't know about the title of the Oscars this year, but... Um, when I've done the Oscars, the Britain was three days later. Mm-hmm. And I think something that is important is to take the rest of the day off after the Oscars. You've been through a really stressful situation. You've done a lot of thinking for that day. You need to unwind and reset before trying to restart studying if the Britons are still after the Oscars. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important to actually give yourself a break and not just launch. Some people yeah. went after the Oscars straight to the library to start studying for the next one. And I think that's a way to just become overtired and Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. doesn't compute. Um, it doesn't compute at all. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, and I think I want I want to do a little bit of a tip for the you know the sleep, the nutrition, mm-hmm. the the some kind of physical outlet, some kind of creative outlet, some kind of psychological outlet. Not that those things uh, will make you pass the OSCE, but it's bloody hard to get through the OSCE if those things aren't in place. So mm-hmm. they are they are foundational. They are building blocks of success in the OSCE environment. So, um, you you we we build those things in for any other high performance team or high performance situation. Those AFL hubs right now are are built <laughs> on those people doing those five things. So, don't underestimate the importance of those. Um, I'm not telling you to prioritize those things over study because I'm sure everyone feels driven to study. But if you neglect those things, you will pay for it later. Mm-hmm. Sure, and I think um, that's a really good note to wrap up. No, that episode. wasn't a good note. No? That wasn't a positive note. We need to finish on a positive okay, note. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, being kind to ourselves is important, and um, yes. making time for self care and yes. other things in life as well. Yeah. But um, yeah. yes, happy to finish on oh, any just, other. I'm just positive looking note. at Marissa and knowing if your <laughs> 240 colleagues in your year. The vast majority of you got through the OSCE in one way or the other, and mm. a, a small number had to sit a second, had to come back for the SUP, and the vast majority of them got through. Mm. And so, 
um, statistically you are likely to pass. Um, <laughs> and um, if you've got, if you're engaged enough to listen to this podcast and reflect upon some of the things, I think that stands you in really good stead. And I just wish you the, the best of luck as time goes by. much more positive note to finish the podcast on. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us, Snail. We're very happy to be here. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. This whole session has been, I've found it very insightful and invaluable and I'm sure our listeners will find it the same. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find this episode as well as all our other episodes and their transcripts on our website www.medtalkpod.com. You can also like us on Facebook www.facebook.com forward slash medtalkpod to stay updated about all the new episodes and any new learning resources. You can also send us episode ideas and feedback on our website or our email medtalkpod at outlook.com.